Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. My plan, uh, Lord willing, for next week is to begin a sermon series in the book of 1 Peter. Um, I had kind of chosen a few different books. I bought some commentaries for multiple books, and I thought I was going to do Philippians um, first. But then I was kind of reading through 1 Peter, and I stumbled across the sermon series where the title of the series, I didn't look at the series or listen to the series, I just read the title of this pastor's sermon series on 1 Peter, and it was something like, Living Faithfully in a Shaky World. And I thought, that is the message that we need to hear for 2022. Um, and First Peter is just full of practical advice about how to live as Christians in a world in which you are aliens, in which you are strangers. And I think that's a, an important message for us to grab a hold of as we begin a new year and as we seek to live faithfully following Jesus in the year 2022. But this morning, I want to focus on a, a verse that's been on my mind, a, a couple verses that have been on my mind as I think of the new year. That's the first two verses of Hebrews Chapter 12. Some of you may have seen the, the meme going around social media, one like this or similar to this, when you realize that 2022 is pronounced 2022. 2020 as well. How many of us are ready for 2020, the sequel? 2020.2. Uh, George has pointed out to us several times that his whole middle school career has been thrown off by by COVID. Started fifth grade with it being cut short, at least in person. And then sixth grade, it was altered with masks and different things and no field trips. And now seventh grade has been different in, in different ways. And most likely for all of us, 2022 will be in some ways affected by the pandemic that we are still in. But no matter what 2022 holds, the job or the mission for us as Christians is the same as every other year, as it should be the same. And that is to live faithfully and obediently following Jesus, whatever comes our way in the year ahead. So the question is, how do we do that? How how do we live faithfully? Or as the, the verses that we're going to read give the illustration of the Christian life as a race, How do we run well? How do we run well in the year 2022? One of the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 12, I think we're given four tips, four tools, four aids that we can follow in order to help us run well in the Christian life. Before we go, continue on, let's just read verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded... By so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame And is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we enter 2022 with your word freely available to us. And we enter it in being able to freely gather in this way to hear and to study and to proclaim your word. And we pray 
that we would not overlook that great gift. And this morning we pray that your spirit would take your word and write it on our hearts. That we would be changed in a way that impacts us as we launch into this new year that lies ahead of us. pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Again, in these verses, the author of Hebrews, which we don't know who exactly it is, but the author of Hebrews uses a, a metaphor that we find several times throughout the New Testament, and that is the metaphor of runners running a race. The Christian life, the author tells us, is like a race. So, he tells us, run that race with endurance. Run that race with endurance. Let us run. Now, it's probably pretty obvious, but I am not a runner. In fact, I joke that one of my life verses is Proverbs 28, verse 1, that says that the wicked run when no one is chasing them. And I don't want to be counted among the wicked, and last time I checked, no one is chasing me, so I don't run. Although that was kind of on my back end of my list of 2022 things I might want to consider doing was running or exercising. But throughout the New Testament, the metaphor or the the illustration of runners running a race is used to describe how we are to live as Christians in this world. We are to run. We are to run with our eyes fixed on the finish line. There is to be movement in the Christian life. There is to be progression. There is to even be exertion. Sometimes it requires work. In fact, we see that when the author of Hebrews tells us that it is a race that requires endurance. It takes endurance. Or if you have the NIV, it requires perseverance. It's not a sprint. It's not a jog through the park. It's it's not a walk down the road, but it it is a marathon. It is a race at times in which you are tempted to quit. At times you are tempted to give up. It's a race that requires endurance. Living the Christian life means that you are someone who perseveres. This word endurance or perseveres is a word that that means to abide under or to bear up under a load. I loved how one commentator described this word when he says that it portrays a picture of it portrays a picture of steadfastly and unflinchingly bearing up under a heavy load. And describes the quality, that quality of character which does not allow one to surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. In other words, it describes someone who does not quit. Someone who does not give up. They are someone who endures. I read that description and this is how I want to be in the year 2022. I want to be an enduring and a persevering Christian. No matter what comes my way. Well, if that's our aim, we'll be helped by applying the principles from the surrounding verses of verse 1 and 2 of chapter 12. And again, I think there are four that we see in these verses. Four helps for our journey in the Christian life. And the first one is found in verse 1 where we are encouraged to find some heroes. Find some heroes. If you notice, our verses begin with a word that tells us that we are not at the beginning of the author's thought. 
And that word, of course, is the word therefore. And we all know by now what we do when we see that word therefore. We ask ourselves the question, what is the therefore, therefore? What is the therefore, therefore? And typically the therefore is to direct us back to what has been just said. And to take what has been said and now to apply it to what is about to be said. And that's what it's used here for. Because the author goes on to say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run. So the question is, what are these witnesses? And therefore, it leads us back to these witnesses found in chapter 11. Most people think, and most commentators will tell you, this is a bad place for a chapter break. We're chapter 12 because we're continuing what has just been said in chapter 11. And if you know chapter 11 of Hebrews, you can see in your Bible, you recognize it as the Faith Hall of Fame, where heroes of faith are listed, especially for the Jewish audience that the author of Hebrews is writing for. These are the Jewish patriarchs and matriarchs of the faith. Men like Moses and Noah and Aaron and women like Rahab and Sarah. Heroes of the faith. Again, many refer to this as the Faith Hall of Fame. And, and, and like a football Hall of Fame or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you walk in and you see the names or see the pictures and then you see the list of accomplishments and achievements associated with those individuals. And that's what we find in Hebrews chapter 11. Examples of men and women who persevered. Men and women who endured. But now here in chapter 12, we're told why we are given those names in the first place. Not simply so that we walk through them and say, wow, what a, a, a great person or individual they are. What, what great faith they exhibited. But we see in chapter 12 that they are given so that we might learn from their example. They are given as witnesses to us. Often when we see that term, that, that phrase, uh, a, a witness, and we read that verse 1, a great cloud of witnesses, we, we might think of spectators sitting up in the clouds looking down on us and watching us. There's a great gathering in heaven and they're, they're looking down, cheering for us and urging us on. But that's not what this verse is saying. The word witness here does not mean spectator. In fact, if you look at the Greek, it's the word martyr. That's what the word witness is throughout the New Testament. But here it's this word martyr and it refers to one who is bearing a witness. One who is being a witness, being an example. And what the author of Hebrews is saying isn't that they are witnessing us, but instead that their lives are a witness to us. They are an example to us, a testimony to us of what faithful Christian living looks like. And their lives urge us to follow in their footsteps. James Moffat says that it's, it's not what they see in us, but it's what we see in them. It is what we see in them, not what they see in us, that is the writer's main point. What the author of Hebrews is saying is stop and look around you. Look around and you and see the faithful men and women that surround us, that have gone before us. They did it. They made it. And so can you. Romans 15.4 says that whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction. Written in the former days refers to the Gospels, but it also refers back to the Old Testament. 
And he says it was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Why should we read the Scriptures this year? Why should we read the Old Testament this year? Because it was given to us for instruction. But it was also given to us for encouragement to endure. And so that we might have hope. Hope because in each and every of the, one of these stories and in each and every character of the Old Testament, it becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly that they have some real problems. They have some real weaknesses. Yet they endured. They weren't perfect, but they endured in faith, giving us hope that by the grace of God, we can endure as well. And they are held up to us. They are given to us so that we might endure. Their lives are urging us on in our own Christian life. So the first encouragement we are given is to find some heroes. And let me just quickly give four subpoints under this first heading of the, of this message. The first heading is, is find some heroes. And let me give you first, let me give you four quick subpoints under that main point. And the first is to find some biblical heroes. Find some biblical heroes. That's what's found in Hebrews chapter 11. Heroes from the Bible. Heroes from the Old Testament. And there is a great help that we can find in our own lives in the stories of the characters of the Old Testament. In fact, I would venture to say that there is no struggle that you will endure in your lifetime that you cannot find an Old Testament saint struggling with something similar. Maybe it's trouble within your family. There's tension, there's division. Maybe as you got together for Christmas, there was an awkwardness that was present because of what transpired in the past. What a help there can be found in the story of Joseph. What an example for us to follow in in showing and taking the initiative and showing forgiveness in order to heal family wounds. Maybe it's your job. You, You feel like the task in front of you is too big. Maybe you feel like you are just underqualified and overmatched. Read the story of Moses. Hear what God says to him at the burning bush. Listen to his excuses and hear God's response. Listen to the advice of his father-in-law Jethro about how to divide up the workload so he can survive under it. See how Moses goes from running from an Egyptian to leading a nation through the desert. Maybe you feel like you're all alone. Everyone has abandoned you and you begin to wonder, does God even see me? Has He abandoned me? Read one of my favorite Old Testament stories and that is the story of Hagar. The story of Hagar who discovered that when she was in the middle of the desert, abandoned by Abraham and Sarah, kicked to the curb, she discovered there in the middle of nowhere, at the end of her rope, she discovered that God was the God who was El Roy. The God who sees me. The story of Noah, who obeyed God when no one else did. Maybe you feel like God's done with you. You've you've messed up one too many times and God has had enough. Read the story of Samson. Or in the New Testament, read the story of Peter and be reminded that you have never messed up too much for God to use you for great things. And we could go on and on and on. Whatever situation you are in, there is a biblical example of faithfulness. And I encourage you in the year 2022 to read and invest in the life 
of a biblical hero. Find a hero, and I'm using that term loosely, find an example and study their life in depth. I would also encourage you to find a dead hero. Now, biblical heroes are, of course, also dead heroes. But what I mean by this is to find a hero from the past of church history. And again, there are many that we could choose from. The author of Hebrews says in verse 1 that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. You think about that word cloud and the kind of clouds that we see. And there's several different kinds of clouds. And I don't know all the terminology, so I'm just going to go with, with what we see with our eyes. And sometimes you go out on a beautiful, bright, sunny day. And you look up in the midst of the blue sky and you can see scattered throughout it these distinct clouds. They have a shape to them. They have edges to them. And sometimes you, you might even try to look for shapes in the clouds. That's one type of cloud. Other times you go out, in the, go out on, a, on a cloudy day and the entire sky looks like a cloud. You can't see the sun or blue sky anywhere. And that's the type of cloud that this Greek word is referring to. The, the linguist and Greek scholar Kenneth Woost says that this word nephos means a great mass of cloud covering the entire visible space of the heavens. In other words, what he's saying is the cloud of witnesses is so great that everywhere we look, we see them. John Calvin said, we are surrounded by this dense throng that wherever we turn our eyes, many examples of faith immediately meet us. If we just stop and look. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And we think about that as two people getting together, and we're going to get to that a little bit later. But some of the sharpening that can happen in our lives is from the lives of men and women who have gone before us. Some of the most important books on my shelves are the biographies biographies of these types of men and women. And I know that I love to read, and I know that not everybody's a reader. But I will tell you that I read, I read what I read, not simply because I'm a pastor and it's part of my job, what I need to do, but I read because I'm a Christian and reading spurs me on in ways that few things do. Especially reading biographies of men and women of the past. Missionaries like John Patton and C.T. Studd who persevered in the midst of incredible difficulties. Patton, you know his story, I've said it many times, but he left everything behind to do what the Lord was telling him to do. And when he got to the Vanuatu Islands to do what the Lord had told him to do, he quickly lost both his wife and son to disease. And for the first however many years he was there, he saw no success. In fact, he came home for a time. But yet he persevered and he went back. And he saw such a revival on the islands that they, that they said that the whole island became Christian. He persevered. Or take the story of Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka Indians. But yet she persevered and persevered to the degree that she eventually went back to those same Indians who murdered her husband and friends and witnessed to them and saw them come to Christ. One of my heroes is the hymn writer John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. And I've made it one of my aims to try to read everything Newton wrote and everything I can find about him. 
I'm very early on in that journey. But I love his story because not only did he write to him Amazing Grace, he lived the story of Amazing Grace. Everything he writes drips with grace because he was someone who experienced such grace and never forgot it. One of the books I read this past year that made the biggest impact on me was a book called Spurgeon's Sorrows. Spurgeon's Sorrows. We all know Charles Spurgeon for his great sermons and the quotes. I I quote Spurgeon often. But yet what many do not know is that he was a man who battled depression deeply. It was so severe that it kept him from the pulpit for months at a time. And to read about his fight with depression and his endurance in the midst of depression was a great encouragement to me this past year. And again, there's, there's more that we could point to. But find some heroes of the past. One of the great places to start is find a book that talks about the writers of hymns. And you'll, you'll, you'll read it, the story of maybe 50 hymn writers in a book. And when one catches your attention, take that as a cue to just go find whatever else you can about that writer. Or there's biographies that will include multiple people in one biography. And, and start there. And when one catches your attention, go looking for more. But find some dead heroes. Also, find some living heroes. And one of my living heroes is Johnny Erickson Tata. I never walk away from a book or a talk of hers that does not leave me impacted in some way or another. Someone who endures great difficulties, yet with such hope and such joy. If you know me and... Larry knows this probably better than anyone. One of my heroes is Alistair Begg. And me and Larry often talk about listening to Alistair. And early on in my ministry, I, I was attracted to his method of preaching and, and, and ministry. And I said, I want to learn from him as much as I can. So I read and listen to him regularly. And with all of these, we can take it too far. And some will say in our culture, we have this problem of celebrity pastors. And we probably do. We make too much of men and, and women. We make too much of, of earthly heroes. And we must never forget that earthly heroes are human heroes. And they have flaws and they have weaknesses. But yet we can look to them the way Paul encouraged his readers to look to him. He says, follow me as I'm following Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Don't merely look to me, but look to me and then look to where I'm looking which is to Christ. Look through my flaws, look through my weaknesses, look through my errors and see the grace of God. Find some living heroes. And then lastly, I would encourage you to find some local heroes. Find someone that you can sit down over a cup of coffee with. Maybe it's someone that is a that was in a similar stage of life as you and they're on the other side of it now. Maybe it's someone who is walking through something that you're walking through and you want to walk through it together with them. You know, I remember a few years back, I interacted in, at Amity Coffee Shop with, with someone. And as he left, I realized that this man was a, a pastor who had raised five kids. And all five kids were now out of the house, older, and all of them were heavily involved in church. And my kids were young at that time. And I thought, I want to learn from him. And I, I, I didn't. But preparing for this sermon reminded me to to do things like that to call people like that up and say I just want to hear how you did it I want to I want to learn from you what it looks like to walk faithfully following Jesus in life The cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12, 12 isn't only in the sky but they surround us every day sitting around you this morning are examples of 
faithful living. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of being a part of the church and learn from the examples of others. Take, exa- take, take advantage of women's nights and, and, and men's fellowship nights and, and game nights where we just are together to build our relationships and to learn from one another through conversations. So the first encouragement we find from Hebrews chapter 12 is to find some heroes. The second encouragement we find is to get rid of the weight. Now that's a great tip for a New Year's sermon, huh? Get rid of the weight. Maybe that's on some of your 2022, I'll say wish list, because it's been on my uh, to-do list for a long time, but it hasn't got to done, so, so I'll put it on a wish list. Get rid of the weight, but the author of Hebrews would agree with us, but not that kind of weight. He tells us that in order to run with endurance, we need to lay aside every weight. And the word weight here refers to anything that is a hindrance or impediment in our progress. Anything that deters our progress. That's why the NIV says to throw off anything that hinders you. Whatever is a hindrance to running the Christian race, get rid of it. In the time period that this was written, it was common, and races were common in this area, and it was common for competitors to enter the arena where the race was held like like a boxer entering a ring, and they would come in dressed in these colorful, elaborate, flowing robes. And they would flow behind them as they walked in, and there'd be this grand entrance as they made their way to the starting line, as they were announced throughout the theater or the arena. However, when it was time to run, you know what happened. Those robes, like the boxer's robes, were thrown off. In fact, the runners ran almost naked. Why? Because they wanted to run unhindered. You can imagine the disaster that would take place if they tried to run in those robes. If they liked their robes so much and said, hey, this makes me look good, I'm going to try to run in my robe. Imagine the disaster that would await them. They'd constantly be tripping over it. And if they weren't tripping over them, they'd be constantly looking backwards and worried about tripping over it or grabbing at them and hoisting them up over their shoulder, out of their way and away from their feet. To run with that robe on would be impossible. Yet how many Christians are trying to run the Christian race in a similar way? Carrying added unnecessary weight. Carrying things that are keeping them from running. Now if you notice in your Bibles, the next phrase tells us that we also need to get rid of sin, which tells us that this weight might not be a sin. In fact, it might be a good thing. It might be something that is good for someone else, but for you, it is an unnecessary thing. For you, it is something that keeps you from running. When Alexander the Great was on his campaign to conquer the known world, there came a moment when that campaign almost came to a halt. When it was almost over for Alexander the Great, short of his goal. And it nearly ended because their armies were too weighed down. Along the way, as they won battle after battle after battle, they began to pick up treasures and plunders from the nations and the cities that they conquered. And they began to carry that with them and became more and more and more. And it began to slow them down and it began to make them less effective and not able to fight as well as they once fought before. 
And Alexander looked around and he said, I've got an idea. And he said, put all your plunder here in a pile. Put all your treasures here in this pile. And it says, they had, history tells us they had a great bonfire. It was all burnt up. Because their temporal treasures were keeping them from their ultimate goal. And because they knew that one day there would be time to enjoy plunder. One day there would be a time to revel in treasures. One day there would be a time to enjoy the fruit of their labor. One day, but not today. For now there was still a battle to be fought. For now they were still in the midst of the war. And whatever did not help them fight must be cast aside. Paul writing in 2 Timothy reminds us that we too are in a battle and we must remember that and we must remember that no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits because his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Paul says no soldier who is loyal to his commander is going to get involved in anything that keeps him from fighting in the midst of a war. The battle must receive his undivided attention. And so it must for us in the spiritual battle. Peter, in fact, pleads with us. He says, I urge you, beloved. That's pleading language. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Why? Because they wage war against your soul. You cannot wage spiritual battle when you are internally at war with your soul. So stop fueling the passions of your flesh. Abstain from it. Get rid of it. Lose the weight. If you enter 2022, just think about your life and ask the question, what is it that is weighing you down? What is it that is keeping you from running? You know, after the last two weeks of holidays and unhealthy eatings and, and seeing the weather report for tomorrow, I know there's going to be donuts in the forecast. So unhealthy eating will continue a little longer. And I, after that, I, I notice myself physically beginning to feel sluggish. Just beginning to feel kind of blah. There are times when I feel that way spiritually as well. Times when I feasted on too much spiritual junk food. And I begin to be get, get spiritually sluggish. Again, it might be good things, but it's unnecessary things. And when my life becomes filled with those things, I'm slower to pray. I find more excuses to not read my Bible. I say no to the prodding of the Spirit more often. Spiritually, I am weighed down with non-essential weight. John Piper says the question that we need to ask ourselves as we look at the things in our lives isn't, is it sin? He said that's too easy of a question. That falls short of the goal. The question isn't, is it sin? But the question we must ask ourselves is, does it help me run? Does it help me run? Too often we're simply concerned about not sinning or we're concerned about getting as close to sin as we can without actually sinning. And we ask ourselves, well, is watching this a sin? Or is listening to this a sin? Or is spending my time doing this a sin? And that's the wrong question to ask. The question we should be asking ourselves is, does it help me run? Does it help me persevere? Does it help me endure? Does it strengthen my spiritual stamina? If not, the author of Hebrews says, get rid of it. Lose it. There's a time 
for enjoying treasures later. But for now, run the race with endurance. Get rid of the weight. Thirdly, lose that sin. Lose that sin. Let us lay aside every weight and let us lay aside every sin which clings so closely. Here the author of Hebrews is pointing to a specific sin, or maybe a better way to say it, pointing to a sin that is specific to us, specific to you. The one sin that constantly trips you up. For the readers of Hebrews, that sin was unbelief, and it's addressed throughout the letter of Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews says, get rid of it. Lose that sin. Stop harboring your doubts so you can run. But for each of us, there is sins which we allow to stay a part of our lives, which we are unwilling to confront and choose to ignore instead of dealing with it. Charles Spurgeon said that that one sin is like a small crack in a lantern. You look at that lantern and you think, well, it's only a crack. The the rest of the glass is intact. The, the, The light is able to burn. But you take that lantern out on a windy day. To lighten a path that lies in front of you. And as soon as the wind hits that lantern, what happens? It finds that crack. And it blows out that light. It's only a crack, but yet it cripples you. It's only a sin, but it clings to you. And it keeps you from running. And while it's only one sin, it's not a sin that is ever content to stay in one place. Because sin creeps and spreads and affects every area of our lives. John Owen famously said that we need to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. The Christian must constantly be on a sin-killing hunt or they will find themselves hunted by sin. Sin looking for more areas of your life to destroy and to kill. The story was told in the St. Petersburg time of a hungry thief who tried to steal a few sausages from a local market, meat market. Thought it's only a few after all. What harm could it be? I need to eat. The only problem was that those few sausages were part of a 15 foot string of sausages. So as he grew, grabbed a few sausages, he ended up with all of the sausages. A few minutes later, the police found the thief just a few feet away, wrapped and entangled in the string of sausages, not getting far at all. So it is with sin. We always come away with more than we bargained for. It's been said by many different people. I couldn't find who the original quote was by, but it says sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Well, Proverbs 5.22 says, The iniquities of the wicked ensnare them, and he is held fast in his cord, in the cords of sin. You cannot allow Sin, even if it's just in your mind a little sin or just that one sin, you cannot allow it to cling to you because you cannot run with it tangled around you. And finally, lastly, we must fix our eyes on Jesus. We must fix our eyes on Jesus. The term that is used for looking refers to a continual and ongoing look. We are always to be looking to Jesus. James Moffat described it as having eyes for no one or anything else except for Jesus. We only have eyes for Him. That is how we are to live the Christian life with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Last week, I think it was Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, we were watching a 
a dog show competition on TV and it, you know, it wasn't that dog show the, the, that is on Thanksgiving, the, the kind of prissy dog show where the pretty little dogs prance around in a circle and do their things and are judged on, I don't know what they're judged on. This was one of the real dog competitions where the dogs actually did something and they ran and we were watching a, a race of these dash hounds and this one little dash hound and, and the way they made them run is they had this little white thing. I don't know what it was, but it was a little white fuzzy thing on a string. And as the dog got up to the starting line, that string with that white thing would start going and the dog would start running after it. We watched a few of these and, and then this one dog, this little dash hound got up to the line, all ready to go. His eyes were locked on that white fuzzy thing and the gun went off and the, the, the thing started going and the dog started running and he was making great time. Until he got distracted. All of a sudden he noticed that he wasn't the only one in the, in the area. He started noticing that there were people in the stands around him. And he began to look around and soon he stopped. Right in the middle of the track he just stopped running. And just looked around with his tongue hanging out and smiling at everyone. All the people. All the distractions. Kayleen was sitting beside me as we watched. And she said, well, isn't that a great illustration? Because often that is us. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus. We are running the race and then something catches our eye. Something distracts us and we slow down and then we stop running. Maybe that was you in 2021. Maybe you got distracted and you stopped running. Maybe that's been you for a number of years. Maybe that's you right now. Let me encourage you to look at Jesus. And keep looking. And to run. Run with your eyes fixed on Him. Look at Him and run. I I love the illustration from Pilgrim's Progress of Christian at the beginning of his journey to the celestial city. As he's leaving his home and headed towards that city, he's all excited. He's all gung-ho for his journey. And then his family and friends begin to call out to him. And they say, Christian, wait. Come home. Come back. Where are you going? What are you doing? Stay here. Stay with us. I think I've shared this story before, but you know what Christian does if you've read this story. He puts his fingers in his ears and he yells at the top of his lungs, life, life, eternal life. And it says he runs. He runs through the wicked gate and he runs towards the celestial city. Let 2022 be the year that you run and that you run well. How do you run well? Find some heroes. Find some heroes. Get rid of the weight. Take a look at your life and see what are the non-essentials that you need to get rid of in order to run well. Lose that sin. Sorry. Lose that sin. Finally get rid of it. Maybe you need some help in this. Maybe you need to find someone who will be your accountability partner and ask you on a regular basis, how are you doing with this? Whatever it takes, lose that sin. And then fix your eyes on Jesus. And keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. This is how we persevere. I know I'm over time, but let me close with a real quick story. One night a thump came from a little girl's bedroom, followed by a cry. The mom and dad, they rushed over to comfort their little daughter. And as they did, the mom picked the girl up and she said, Honey, why did you fall out of bed? The little girl responded, Well, I guess I stayed too close to the place that I got in. Christian, don't stay too close to the place you got in. 
The Christian life is to be one of progress. The Christian life is to be one of growth. The Christian life is to be one of maturity. Make 2022 a year where you grow, where you advance, where you run the race of endurance. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the examples that it